1: this this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On
0: your radio and in the game right here on Super Talk Mississippi.
2: Howdy on a Tuesday very texas of me sports talk mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm richard cross michael borky brian haydad is off today mississippi state's got an open date and he decided that he was going to play video games all day or something like that i mean i'm not trying to typecast him there but seems like a reasonable guest uh that 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 feels like a reasonable guest doesn't it borky isn't there some soccer game today is there a day between January 1st and December 31st where there is not
3: some soccer match somewhere? Well, I, I ask that in a way where I think it might be like a big one, but I'm not really sure because I'm an American. <laughs> uh, Man U grabs lead over PSG on penalty kick. Yeah, Chelsea, his team is playing right now. That might be what he's doing. Although, it's never stopped him from watching the stream during the show before. That's a good point.
2: Let's see. Chelsea is playing Sevilla FC. Scoreless in the 47th minute.
3: Riveting. Yeah.
2: Paris Saint-Germain and uh, Manchester United are playing right now. Do you know where Sevilla is?
3: It is in France, isn't it? Close. It's Spain. Spain. It's in Seville, Spain, or it's probably okay. said or pronounced differently. But again, we're Americans. Sevilla.
2: Yeah. No, I. Uh, yeah, I guess I probably knew that that was in Spain. If I'd thought about it just a little while longer, I would have given you that answer. If I'd have spelled uh, it
3: for you with the double L's, you probably would have gotten it.
2: Yeah. SeaSpire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. If you want to be a part of the conversation, that is the best way for you to uh, jump in on the C Spire text line. And don't forget, $100 off the iPhone of your choice, both online at cspire.com and at your local C Spire store. Roger in Ryanzi says it's where the barber is from. Sevilla. Huh. Philippines, Starkville says, I'm with Borky. Riveting.
3: Here's <laughs> just, one. Soccer equals communist sport. <laughs> <laughs> hey, in fairness, the communist countries are generally the worst at the sport, but I, I get you. I'm such a hypocrite with soccer, though, because if it's Team USA, it's the only soccer I'll watch, though. But if it's the United States men's national team... I'm locked in. I don't miss a game. For some reason, when they're wearing US of A on their chest, I get oh, into it. now you're
2: patriotic? Now you're into it?
3: That's all. I watch hockey, Olympic hockey. I don't miss a game. I don't miss a USA soccer game. I'll watch every Olympics Olympic sport and hope we win. I am one of those people, and I'm proud of that. You know, before you
2: became the full-time producer on this show, Rhino was the, the producer. He obviously is with uh, the JT show right now and works with Rebecca as well. And Rhino's a soccer nut and he kind of got me into it a, a, a little bit, but it did coincide with the World Cup. you know it was a build-up to the World Cup and then the actual World Cup and so I was uh, I was engaged. Borky I remember vividly. So since I was about oh I don't know 11 or 12 years old, I've cut grass. Like at varying levels of business, like it would you know, I mentioned, I think we were talking about something else a couple of days ago. You know, it started out where we had like an old Ford riding mower where I would drive it down the street in the neighborhood and, and reaching out behind me would hold on to the push mower and would balance a weed eater and a gas can across my lap. And that's how the lawn business started. And, you know, somewhere along the way it graduated and grew a little bit. And then it's kind of, you know, still kind of got a, deal over in the delta where we cut some grass but i remember i don't know whatever world cup it was i mean probably five or six years ago it would have been the vivid... 14
3: world cup because 18 the united
2: states wasn't in it that's exactly when it would have been it would have been the 2014 world cup i vividly remember i was cutting in a pecan orchard in clarksdale <laughs> on a saturday afternoon with earbuds in my phone, listening to World Cup soccer on the radio.
3: Love that.
2: A live stream through my phone while mowing grass in the Mississippi Delta. I mean, it's like worlds colliding right there. I, oh, it's hard yeah. to make sense.
3: Let me. You may this have been this the only something. one in the Delta listening to soccer or watching at all that day.
2: T- t- two things. Similar similar story that I heard on the radio one time. But I can actually tie the other, the, the whole Mississippi Delta and soccer thing together as well. Coming up today, in the 4 o'clock hour, Wright Thompson is going to join us. He's going to sit down with me in studio for the entire hour. Wright's got a new book coming out uh, in just a couple of weeks called Pappy Land. And it is a story about bourbon about life, about passing things down that last, uh, about family ties and a whole bunch of other stuff weaved into one. Uh, I happen to think that Wright Thompson is the most gifted sports writer of our generation, and I'm happy to call him a friend, and he's going to be with us. So we're going to talk a little bit about his book, which means we're going to talk about bourbon a little bit, but we're also going to talk about sports. And I said I could tie it all together, Borky. One of my favorite stories that Wright has written was a long-form story he did either for ESPN the Magazine or just ESPN Online, where he wrote, wrote about Juventus, the, the soccer team, and Wright Thompson is from Clarksdale. So just tied it all back together. Full circle. Completely Full circle.
3: unplanned and executed flawlessly.
2: The uh, the other thing that I was going to mention so there was a uh, there was a radio show in Dallas called Gackin' Company, uh, and if you go way back, it was it was Randy Galloway was the host, and Morky a decade ago, they had Ian Fitzsimmons on there as a regular, who's now with ESPN Radio, does the nighttime show sideline reporter for them, good dude, and uh, they had some other characters, and one of these other characters was telling a story. This was. When was the first Olympics when Michael Phelps went bonkers? 2000... Oh gosh, probably 06? I think 2006 was when he kind of burst onto the scene. And this guy was telling a story. He said, man, I was out in the middle of backcountry nowhere Texas on a fishing trip. Okay, 2004. And we stop in on a Friday night to eat at a catfish house. And there's not a baseball game on. You know, There's one TV sitting up in the corner. And I happened to look up, and the entire restaurant got quiet. And it was as Michael Phelps was jumping into a pool. And he said, if there was a more patriotic place in all of America, this backwoods West Texas catfish house Folks who got hats and boots and rednecks, and they're spitting tobacco, you know, in between bites of catfish and whatnot. And he said the entire place went crazy for <laughs> Michael Phelps swimming in the Olympics. That's how transcendent it was.
3: Oh, that's awesome.
2: And it's incredible to me how niche sports can do that. Right. I mean, we are football people. College football, the NFL. The United States is a football country. Baseball is the pastime. Maybe the NBA is your thing. But every four years, whether it's with the Olympics or with soccer when the United States is relevant, you can take a, 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 a sport where people joke about it being communist and, oh, it, we've been hearing for a while, this is going to be big in America, keep waiting to see. And all of a sudden, everybody's pulling in the same direction. And I think you nailed it. It has nothing to do with what the sport is. It's got to do with the colors on the jersey. It's it's all, you know, America. Not to be confused with yes, America. Sir. I mean, that pulls out the America in all of us. It. Oh it's yeah, crazy.
3: Um, I'm curious to see if that still exists in 2021 ooh. when the Olympics are there, or or have we lost our pride in our country so much? The national that, pride. Yeah. You know, which, that's still on next year, by the way. They say they're going to have an Olympics in Japan in 2021. So, we'll see. I think there are two
2: things, and maybe two things only, that can pull the United States together patriotically at this point. Sports and war. Let's
3: hope it's just I don't, the think, there's any,
2: I don't think there's anything else that can do it. Sports is still the great unifier. Yep. And, and when I say war, I'm not talking about we go and we get involved in a conflict that's not really our fight. I'm using we very loosely. I'm talking about somebody attacks the United States of America. Those are, I think, the only two things that could even temporarily completely unify us pretty big news out of starkville today we will get to that when we come back this is sports talk mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm sports talk mississippi with you streaming at supertalk.fm richard cross michael borky brian haydad is off today we are glad to be with you and time for us to jump in on the farm bureau phone line check out favorites.com and go with the home team Mississippi Farm Bureau. Ben Ingram joins us right now, Atlanta Braves Radio Network. Ben, um, all right, first of all, so we do a, a live video stream that goes with it. We're in separate studios. Borky, our producer, is in Jackson. I'm in Oxford. When Brian Haydad here is here, he's in Starkville. And through the magic of technology, we pull it all together. And we've got a picture of you. Was this like... Did this come straight from a GQ shoot you did? <laughs> I mean, you're kind of kind of tilted to the side, and the lighting's just right. I mean, it, it's very you know not a hair out of place.
0: You know, they they wanted a headshot, so I, I found somebody who actually knew what they were doing, and somehow the 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 result was significantly better than the real thing. So I'll take it. There
2: you go. Um, too soon, or can we actually talk about this?
0: Oh yeah, we can we can talk about it absolutely. <laughs>
2: To me, it feels like there's a glass half full element, and and the glass half full element is, man, this is a really good young team with a lot of pieces that are going to be good for a really long time, and then the glass half empty is people immediately going to, well, you know, sixteen straight trips to the postseason without a trip without a trip to the World Series. Where do you fall in in the middle of that? How do you even digest that?
0: Yeah, I understand both sides. I, I think I if I take myself out of this, um, I mean, I'm a realist. I know what I've seen. Um, to what what has happened the previous nineteen years of them uh, failing to get out of the division series up until this season? To me, yes, it, it, that is disappointing. But I don't think it has anything to do with this team. I think the failures that they had in oh three or oh seven or oh five. It, I mean, just, uh, all these players were in elementary school, uh, high school at that point, something like that. So to me, I I'd divvy it up. I, I think each each team is a separate entity from something that might have happened with a disappointment ten years prior. Mm -hmm. What I see in this game is I have watched so many teams do exactly what the Braves are doing, and if you're looking for examples, I'd go to the 2014 Royals, I'd go to the 2015 Cubs, teams that are on their way up. You could look at what the Astros did in the few years leading up to their championship in 17 and understand that's disputed, and that's completely fair. Uh, But there's a build-up there, and it's just so rare that a team just blitzes right through and finds their way to the World Series. And uh, I think where this team is right now is currently in that process. That's no guarantee that they're going to get it done by any means. Uh, because each year presents its own set of, of difficulties and challenges. But when I see what they have on the mound and what I see what they have in front of them for the off season, I think if the right moves are made, they should be back in a position where they're just as competitive in 2021 as they were in 2020. So that's the way that I view this thing. And I, I think that the strides that they made this year were very encouraging because they got to a place that they had not been in many, many years. So I think that's a good thing for a bunch of guys who are uh, in, in their mid-20s for the most part.
2: And and Ben, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but the guys that they expected to be the front end of that rotation basically didn't pitch this year, right?
0: Right. I mean, everybody in the rotation at one point or another missed time, whether that was the whole season or just a little while. Even Max Fried, who you envisioned being in the rotation all year, even he had a, a, a trip to the DL early in September. So you lost your best pitcher in Mike Soroka, Your second best pitcher, Max Fried, was outstanding, but did miss uh, about 10, day, 10 days or so in September. Cole Hamels, whom you thought you'd get a lot more out of, pitched three innings this year. Felix Hernandez mm-hmm. opted out. Mike fulton was very unsuccessful, had to be opted to the alternate site. Same thing with Sean Newcomb. Same thing with Tuki Toussaint. And and that's the thing that I'll take away from this season is how far they went with such as a de- depleted pitching rotation. That's what blew my mind. And so many young guys stepped up there towards the end, like Bryce Wilson and and uh, and Kyle Wright. And I hope that they can find uh, a way to build on what they were able to accomplish this season, be even better next year.
2: Is Ian Anderson a future ace?
0: Yes an um, uh, interesting story about Ian Anderson that it, it just it's amazing how scouting works. I mean, the Braves got him out of high school and lots of other teams really weren't all that high on Ian Anderson. In fact, he was sick his senior season, didn't have his best stuff and teams started to pull off of him, and the Braves really believed in him. In fact, the scout that found Ian Anderson was the same scout that found Mike Trout and he said that he had not felt that confident about a player since he found Mike Trout and the Angels got him in 2009. That's with the Angels. So Ian Anderson signs with the Braves. They went into a pre-draft meeting. No pitcher had ever, no right-handed high school pitcher had ever been taken number one overall. And while the Braves didn't have the number one overall pick, they did have the number three. And with so many other teams coming off of Ian, they really had to dig down deep and say, is this really the guy that we want? Are we really seeing what we uh, what we think we're seeing? And Paul Snyder, the legendary scout who'd been in the Braves organization for so many years and was actually the scout who found Chipper Jones, stood up in the room and said, this, this is the kind of guy that this organization organization was built upon and at that point they knew we can go giddy and anderson and they did and it's turned out well and what he did towards the back end of the season and in the postseason is, is amazing and, and i think you go into next season with a guy at number three in your rotation who could be an easy one too for so many other organizations
2: it's such a cool story and, and tell me that scouts name again
0: uh, Gre- uh greg minhart was the scout's name and, and he was the one who found Ian and ran it up the the chain of command. No, no, no. Ian. The
2: one that, that stood up in that meeting and said this is what oh, the Paul organization is.
0: Paul, okay. Paul Snyder. He uh legendary scout. I mean, he, right out of central casting, always a cigar in his mouth, and he's been around the game <laughs> a million years.
2: So, so here – I think you and I are about the same age. I'm 39, about to be 40. Does that put us right there together?
0: Yeah, I, I turned 40 in March.
2: Okay. Well, I'll be 40 in, in November. So – I I vividly remember that 89, 90, 91 when it all started for the Braves. So, So when a guy who's been around as long as he has been stands up and says, this is what this organization was built on, is that what he's talking about, the way they built that team in the early 90s that was relevant for 15 years?
0: Without a doubt. I mean, it, it, okay. it's all got to be on the mound, and I think that's what he saw. And, and that year, if you remember that year, Mickey Moniak went number 1 overall to the Phillies, and he's hardly even seen the big leagues. Nick Sinzel went 2 overall to the Reds, and he made it up Out of this Tennessee. year. So, so looking at the players in that draft, I, I think they nailed it with Ian.
2: Yeah, that's a, that's a really cool story. Hey, what's the – I mean, this was such a weird year, and yet for you, in a lot of ways, it was – maybe professionally the best year that you've had and kind of continue to move up. Looking at it in the rearview mirror, is there any way to kind of encapsulate, Ben, what the last six months have been like from a, purely from a baseball and a baseball radio
0: standpoint? Yeah, that's a great question. I think for me, I mean, first and foremost, it gave me something – that uh that i love that i didn't know that i'd have this year because when we came away from spring training there were so many uncertainties and i didn't know if we'd have a season at all so just being able to do what i love every single day and and take my mind off of everything else that's going on for me personally that was a humongous positive and then add on top of that the team playing so well and and uh, making the run in the postseason. It gave me a sense of normalcy, and I've heard from so many other people who listen to us nightly who have said the same thing, that while outside of baseball, 2020 has been tough and had so many challenges, they looked forward to uh, our program every single night, because not only were we bringing them baseball, we we're bringing them uh, a winning team, and it gave people a sense of normalcy, and that made me feel really good, just knowing that people could listen to our broadcast and feel the same way, and uh, that in turn uh, gave me that normalcy as well. So uh, it, whether you know, 60 games, whatever. I, I was just happy to get a season in. And the fact that we're yeah. sitting here on October the 19th and you're going to have game one of the World Series tonight, to me, that's a humongous win for the game. I remember back on August the 14th, I want to say it was, Major League Baseball uh, alerted all the TV networks, radio networks, and everybody involved in Major League Baseball broadcasting that you need to have. Uh, backup programming ready in case we have to shut this thing down this week. And at that point, I felt well, that, that means we're we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna shut it down because nothing had gone positively all year. Anytime there was the threat of something going wrong, it eventually went wrong. But we just kept plugging away and showing up every single day, and we got through mid-August. And next thing you know, it's Labor Day, and the next thing you know, we're at the end of the season and the postseason. So to have it all in, uh, whether that meant us. Uh, broadcasting to empty stadiums and then broadcasting uh, in the postseason in our booth uh, as as we're calling games off monitors. It was really challenging, but uh, just the fact that we had baseball and had baseball on the air meant everything to me. I'm
2: going to skip, give me a prediction on Tampa Bay Dodgers because I think this is more interesting and I've only got a minute left to get to it. I have said that despite all of the, the stumbles out of the gate, with Rob Manfred, with the launch of the season, with the back and forth between the union and everything, baseball deserves a ton of credit for persevering and not at any point being willing to throw in the towel. Is that well-placed credit
0: yeah, I think it is. And, and and I've been as critical as anybody that I know of Rob Manfred, and I think the statement that he made in mid-August where he said, I'm not the kind of person who quits or gives up easily, that's what the game needed to hear. And and they got by the, the issue with the Marlins and the breakout that was in the Cardinal clubhouse, and they found a way. And the fact that we got to the end of the season and everybody played 60 games or darn near close to 60 games is is an amazing win. So while I've been ultra-critical of this commissioner, I think that was a, a, a big positive that he brought to our game and so glad- glad. Glad that we were able to persevere through it.
2: Ben, love visiting with you. I hope we can catch up again soon because I want to talk to you about what this offseason is going to look like, what we've got to get through in the collective bargaining stuff that's down the line, but not too terribly far down the line. Always enjoy the conversations. And on behalf, not that I'm necessarily qualified to say this, but on the half of the state of Mississippi where you spent some of your formative years, just a phenomenal job this year.
0: Thank you so much, Richard. I appreciate that. And I'm available anytime, happy anytime you want.
2: All right. We'll talk to you soon. That's Ben Ingram from the Atlanta Braves Radio Network. Farm Bureau phone line is where he joined us. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. We'll be right back. Good to have you along on Sports Talk Mississippi. This is Pork Month, celebrating National Pork Month and reintroducing you to real pork. Together let's celebrate everything that is real about pork, real stories, real pig farmers, and the real way people feel when they enjoy the authentic flavors of pork. Go to pork.org slash real dash pork to learn more. Bacon at the crosshouse this morning. It's an almost every morning thing. Not every morning. I got up early. Jane had to go out of town. So, I uh, got up in time to uh, pick her up a coffee before she had to leave, grabbed some donuts, came on through bacon in the oven.
3: Am I wrong for doing it that way? Some people will say you are, but it's bacon still. It's easy and it tastes
2: the same as if it's cooked in a skillet. And you don't have to stand over it the whole time. Put it on 375, spray down the pan, lay out seven, eight, nine strips of bacon. And 15 minutes later, it's perfect. Crispy. No mess. Other than having to kind of clean the pan. Yeah. Anyway. So, yeah. So, um, news out of Starkville today. I get, Well, maybe it was last night. Garrett Schrader is entering the transfer portal. That is according to um, Joel Coleman at Sports Illustrated's Cowboy, uh, Cowbell Corner. Not cowboy corner, but rather cowbell corner. Mississippi State quarterback turned wide receiver has entered the transfer portal. The move comes just four games into the 2020 season. News was first reported by the guy that um, lives in the transfer portal. Like his his actual mailing address is transfer portal, Matt Zena dot AL.com. Schrader Burst onto the scene last year for Mississippi State as a true freshman. Played in 10 games, starting four. Big kid. 6'4", 215 pounds, native of North Carolina, made a name for himself with his recognizable beard. And the way that he played the game as well. The way that he ran. He threw for 1,170 yards and eight touchdowns, but he ran it for 587 yards and six more scores. And looked at if he was as if he was going to uh, kind of establish himself as Mississippi State's quarterback of the future, and then that started to change this past January. And there's an argument to be made that it may have started changing last December during bowl preparation. Joe Moorhead was relieved of his duties. Mike Leach was hired, and you looked at it and you thought, "Okay, Garrett Schrader does not fit." what Mike Leach is going to be trying to do on offense. And so Schrader, who is a dual-threat guy who's athletic and big and physical, was moved to wide receiver with K.J. Costello as the starter and Will Rogers being added to the mix and possibly now the starter. And Schrader really hasn't done much. He's played in all four games. He's only caught one pass for
3: eight yards, and now he's going to look around. He also released a statement on Twitter, if you want to hear it. Pretty interesting stuff here, Mm -hmm. actually. These are usually kind of mundane, but uh, he started thanking uh, his teammates and coaches at Mississippi State, developed friendships that will last a lifetime, so on and so forth. The next follow-up tweet is the interesting one. He said, this is not an easy decision, but I am a quarterback, and it's the skill set that got me here. And fortunately, I've been blessed to play in the SEC I have three years of eligibility and have answered the transfer portal. I wish nothing but the best for Mississippi State, and my recruitment is 100% open. So he must have not liked the decision to move him to wide receiver because he said right here, I am a quarterback. I found that a little interesting. Not surprising, but he just came out and said it.
2: And I respect that. But I also respect Mike Leach's decision to go, yeah, you, you, you may be a quarterback, you're just not a quarterback in this offense. And, you know, if you look at Garrett Schrader and the way he plays, one, you know he played hard. He played physical. But he's in the mold of Nick Fitzgerald. In some ways, he's in the mold and played the position the way Tim Tebow played it, as a physical downhill runner. That was not a super gifted passer. Now, sometimes we 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 label Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow's passing numbers in college were fine. They were more than fine. They they were good. They weren't great, but they were good. But there's a difference in being a good to above-average college passer and being an NFL passer, and that's the reason that Tim Tebow didn't make it in the NFL, because mechanically he never got there. It wasn't just about arm strength. It was about mechanics, footwork, reading defenses, playing in that style. So you can't help but wish Garrett Schrader the best, hope things work out for him. You can't blame Mike Leach for going with the guy that is going to fit in his offense the best. And I can't help but wonder what. Um, I can't help but wonder what the the right offense is,
3: what the right situation is for Garrett Schrader going forward. It's a really fascinating question because I mean, and if you remember last year, you touched on it. He was a true freshman uh, that was playing and getting game action that he did not ex- expect to get. I mean, Stevens goes down with an injury, and they throw this kid in, and. Uh, while he had some limitations in the passing game, he was just a true freshman and showed flashes of being a, a more than capable passer. I liked him last year. Thought that he was somebody that you could build with, but it just doesn't fit what they're trying to do right now. I think, if given the right opportunity, and I do not they shouldn't look at it this way, but I, I have a feeling that down the road Mississippi State fans will think, God, I can't believe we let him get away. Even though it doesn't fit what Leach wants to do, uh, they've got Rodgers there, there's another incoming recruit that's a high-level quarterback, so they're going to be fine at the position, but I have a feeling he's going to go somewhere and perform really well, and people around here are going to think, man, we, we really let that kid go, didn't we? Well, and it, it doesn't that depend on what Mississippi State looks like going forward? That too, yeah. It's a little I bit mean, easier when you're winning games, and oh, good for Garrett, that's great, but if you're losing games and he's somewhere else winning games, that's, that's tough. Jason says, say that part again,
2: true freshman. I don't care what a proven winner leech is. I'm looking at him sideways until he proves himself at Mississippi State. Way too much of a daytime soap going on for me.
3: Yeah, but, I mean, Rodgers is a good play. He was a high-profile recruit. And in limited action, he has shown you that he's a good player, too. And it's – there's only one quarterback that can play at a time. You know? I mean – You've got to recruit one every year with the transfer portal and stuff like that, but it's not like Mike Leach forced Garrett Schrader out, and the quarterback room is K.J. Costello and a bunch of walk-ons.
2: Greg and Nettleton says, I loved that guy. And he was easy to like because of the way he played, right?
3: Yeah. He wanted to run people this, over, which is unique for a quarterback with a beard flowing out of his chin strap. This is—I mean, I didn't say it out loud, but I was thinking about it.
2: You guys just compared him to two of Mullen's guys at quarterback. Does he go to Florida? See, there's a fit. Although he was not a—he was
3: not a Mullen recruit. No. He was a Joe Moorhead recruit. But that. And somebody also mentions Oregon. I wouldn't be surprised if Mario Cristobal has already been on the phone considering who is at Oregon right now with him. But you want to talk about fit and maybe you want to stay in the SEC. Uh, Apparently Dan Mullen really likes Emory Jones. I've seen him throw the football very few times, but that doesn't look pretty when it's happened.
2: One of those was against Ole Miss where they brought him in and kind of he rolled out to the right on, I guess it was, a wide receiver handoff play and just kind of floated it up there. It was an interception. Yeah he's
3: not good no um but maybe that scares you away I don't know but if you're talking about fit that would be a good fit
2: Randy says come on down to USm Mr Schrader
3: I have a feeling he's got he he will have multiple power five schools calling him today probably so I will say this
2: in the event that Garrett schrader chooses to drop down to the um, group of five level obviously still playing at the FBS but at the group of five level he could put up massive numbers oh yeah at Southern Miss Troy Tulane Tulane, Louisiana Lafayette South Alabama FAU FIU
3: somebody suggests Memphis depending on who they hire after Muschamp gets run out a little hyperbole but South Carolina might be looking for a quarterback unless Colin Hill sticks around
2: Jason in Flagstaff says I'd be shocked if Auburn doesn't look at him he's perfect for Gus Malzahn's offense hmm <laughs> We'll see. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. We'll be right back. <laughs> back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi on this Tuesday afternoon. Richard Cross and Michael Borkey. Brian Haydad is out today. Thank you for being with us. Thanks to Ben Ingram for joining us earlier on the Farm Bureau phone line Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. You want to be part of the conversation? You can uh, do so. We would love to hear from you as always. Uh, get live, up to the minute results from across the state during Super Talk Mississippi's 2020 election special coverage that starts at 8 o'clock on Tuesday, November 3rd. Our coverage will be hosted by Linda Allen. You'll hear results from News Mississippi, plus analysis and discussion from guests from across the political spectrum. You can hear the election coverage on your local Supertalk Mississippi stations, online at supertalk.fm, and you can watch live at Supertalk TV, just like you do Every day on this show, 4 o'clock hour, just uh, oh, about 10 minutes from right now, we'll be joined for an hour by uh, Wright Thompson, who's a senior writer at ESPN.com. He's got a new book that is coming out called Pappy Land. We will talk with him about uh, bourbon, the story of that. Borky, I think I've got a really good analogy I'm going to throw at him. And he's either going to tell me, no, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard, or, wow, Richard. That's pretty good. So we will uh, we'll see how that plays um, when we uh, when we get to it coming up just a little while from uh, right now. You had a doubleheader on Monday Night Football last night. The uh, Chiefs won in game number one, and really for the second game in a row, including the game against the Titans last Monday night, Josh Allen was not very good for Buffalo. He is immensely talented. He's a gifted runner. He's got a huge arm, but has really struggled in the last couple of games. Last night, 14 of 27 for 122 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. He was not sacked in the ball game. Mahomes' numbers didn't throw, blow you away, but the Chiefs won, and they got to 5-1 on the year with the 26-17 victory. Only five incompletions for Mahomes, 21-26, pretty efficient. 225 yards, couple of touchdowns. No interceptions. He was sacked once in the game. Story last night, though, in that game was Clyde Edwards-Helaire. Twenty-six carries for 161 yards. Edwards-Helaire averaged six point two yards per carry.
3: Yeah, if there was any flaw in the Chiefs team a year ago, they didn't run the football particularly well. Everybody thinks that that was like the perfect team, and they were pretty close to it, but they were in the bottom. Uh, fourth of the league in rushing most every rushing category not the case this year top 10 rushing offense in the nfl so basically everything else is the same and they added a high level rushing attack to that offense it is uh pretty special
2: and then in the night cap you had the uh, dallas cowboys and the arizona cardinals and kyler murray still has not lost a game in jerry's world and it was not close is there anything that dallas does well right now Anyone, um, Bueller. The the helmets Bueller? are still pretty
3: sick. I, I mean,
2: oh yeah, maybe the he, best uniforms in all of professional
3: sports. Yeah, you've got that, but no, everything else is terrible. And Dalton's Boy, kind of. tell the, me this though? T- tell me this. How do you win a game thirty eight to ten in the
2: National Football League when your starting quarterback goes nine of twenty four? That's what Kyler Murray did last night. He was nine of twenty four for one hundred and eighty eight yards. Two of those were touchdown passes.
3: Kenyon Drake was awesome. Yeah, the he Cardinals rushed for good 164 yards. Yeah. Um, it, Turnovers mostly. I mean, Zeke fumbled twice. That immediately led to touchdowns. And early. Yeah. And that really screwed things up. Um Dalton's getting all the crap today, and uh, look, he wasn't great. Don't get me wrong; uh, he threw was it fifty-four times last night. Yeah, because they were playing the game mostly from behind. That won't be the strategy for them without Dak moving forward. But uh, one of his two interceptions, Ceedee Lamb got comp- got tackled coming out of his break, and they just didn't call it. And Dalton threw to where Lamb was supposed to be, and it was picked off. But uh, I mean, uh, how do you expect? your backup quarterback to step in and try to win you a game when you fumble the ball, you can't stop anybody, you're bad up front on both sides. And in fairness, what team in the NFL would be good if their starting quarterback and four starting offensive linemen get injured? I mean, no, who would fair. win many games that way, but still they're awful all around.
2: Cowboys fall to 2 and 4 on the year and lead the division. Arizona improves to 4 and 2. Say so what in what and they lead the division still? Oh jeez, I forgot about that.
3: <laughs> They're going to make the playoffs and host a playoff game.
2: <laughs> the NFC East is brutal. Cowboys in first place in the division at 2 and 4. Love it. Eagles and Giants play each other this coming week. Boy, that's going to be pretty. I don't know if you
3: call that playing each other,
2: but they will they'll be on the field at the same time. Eagles are 1 and 4, Giants are 1 and 5, and the Washington football team is 1 and 5 as well. Meanwhile, you got
3: the Bears leading the NFC North exactly like everyone predicted. They're frauds. They're complete frauds. They'll get exposed eventually.
2: But are they? I think so. The defense is pretty good. It is pretty Nick good. Nick Foles is steady. And, the and then the Bucks lead the NFC South at 4-2. Oh, by the way, Seattle's still undefeated out on the West Coast at 5-0. That 3 cone drill really not coming back to uh, haunt D.K. Metcalf the way people thought it might. Amazing. The tall and fast guy is not a bust. (laughs) It's almost like he could out-physical people and run by them. Sports Talk Mississippi, 4 o'clock hours next. Back with you Tuesday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borke, Brian Haydad is off tonight. And uh, we don't do this all that often, but kind of excited about this. An in-studio guest for the entire 4 o'clock hour. Uh, Wright Thompson, who is senior writer at ESPN.com, has been involved with uh, a bunch of video stuff and documentaries and a lot of narration and uh, at his core is and I think always will be a writer and uh, he's
1: got a brand new book coming out called Pappy Land what's up man no man it's a pleasure to be here it's good to see I think the last time I saw you we were at uh, uh, dropping our kids off at, at fake school like 3K or something like that? Yeah, but we were all really happy to be leaving them there and walking over to Bottle Tree like grown-ups again.
2: That's exactly
1: yeah, uh, exactly. exactly right. Uh, your little one is how old now? Uh, will be three in January. Okay. So she has lots of opinions about things. Yeah. Uh, uh, she uh is really into Peppa Pig, and so I'm terrified about her figuring out where barbecue comes from. Mm. Uh, I was wearing a T-shirt from a barbecue place to yesterday. This is no joke. And she goes, Daddy, the pig's in the fireplace. And I'm like, oh, "Yeah, no. we're going to have to have some really awkward conversations here yeah. really soon. Being
2: uh, at three years old interested in Peppa the Pig is probably better than being interested in Pappy Van Winkle.
1: Uh, I don't at, know. At three. At three, yes. But we've been having uh, the quarantine. I feel like we're all going to turn into fat alcoholics because, like, <laughs> you know, especially like those first, like, three months. Uh, I came home one day with, uh, like a handle maker's mark and it was just sitting on the kitchen counter and she walked by and looked up at like that red wax top and just pointed and said, "Dada." And I'm like, Oh <laughs> God, this is like, gotta... <laughs> I'm not sure how this story is going yeah, to end. It's not. I feel like she's starting to write her tell all memoir. Uh, not great.
2: All right. So this is either going to be the greatest analogy in the history of the world. or you are going to tell me? No, you're a moron. Let's move on. All right. Hipsters love discovering bands. Yes. And and will find a band that they're into,
1: and they discovered it, and that's I, kind of their thing. I like where you're going with this, but keep going. I totally agree with what you're about to say. And then sometimes a band that is a hipster band first... Yeah, they were playing in little clubs. You were there when they were 80
2: people. They will put out a song that the mainstream decides they love. Yes, And so now they're less of a
1: hipster group than they once were. And so now people are furious at them and they don't like them anymore. Except for the rare occasion where
2: a hipster band is able to bridge the gap and be popular with the mainstream without selling out to their original followers and they're still popular with the original folks.
1: And it almost never happens, and yet... Pappy Van Winkle, have they accomplished this? I think they have. Now, there are people listening, and there are people who are bourbon nuts, who often get very angry. Uh, It's pretty funny to hear the imagined conspiracy theories about secret stashes of the stuff and how it's not really as rare as people say, which I've been there on Allocation Day. There's almost none of it. I mean, the joke... Uh, we had CBS filming at Julian's house a couple of weeks ago for promo, and his sons-in-law were all there. And they were joking like, "Oh, the cameras are here. Julian gets the Van Winkle out." You know, normally we got, you know, like <laughs> he can't, he can't even get it. Uh, they hold the line in a way that I'm not sure if it were my business and the amount of money that I know for a fact has been offered, I'm not sure I would be able to hold the line on the quality like they do. I mean, it's really interesting.
2: Okay, there there are people who are not uh, bourbon drinkers, who are not bourbon uh, bourbon aficionados. Probably most everyone on some level has heard the name Pappy Van Winkle. It is... I think it's fair to say the single most sought-after spirit on planet Earth.
1: It a hundred percent is, okay. mean, and it's almost impossible to get. And there's a secondary market.
2: That's insane. I mean, it, it's not. I mean, for for a 23-year-old bottle of Pappy Van Winkle could easily go for 2,500 to four thousand dollars on the secondary market.
1: Easy, and and you know, up to ten. You know, I mean, like, and it's really crazy. And, like, and the people who make it, it just mortifies them. Because, you know, they will be the first to tell you uh, nothing that you put in your body is worth that much money.
2: Shouldn't the family be holding back some stock to make
1: sure the college funds and whatnot are taken care of? Uh, Believe me, I was like, look, you should just have all of this in a vault. But, no, I mean, there's just, it's interesting. And then state liquor boards are so corrupt that... (laughs) Which is sh- I know it's shocking uh, uh, that you know you hear whispers in Mississippi about about uh, bottles just walking out of the warehouse before they even make it to the liquor store. So uh, I mean, because your Mississippi has a state liquor board, so it all goes to a state-run warehouse. Goes
2: to the government, state-run, and then gets distributed it, to the. Yeah liquor stores to, to across the gun, state of Mississippi. I
1: mean, to, to, to state liquor stores across the state of Mississippi. But, like, all over America, it's like that. And so they have – Julian can't even control who gets it in the state, really. Yeah. I mean, they have some say. But it's really interesting, and it's really, really hard to get.
2: Okay, so uh, we're not going to spend the entire hour talking no, about, but it's about bourbon, but it is fascinating to me. So you, you've been a bourbon guy. You've been a Pappy Van Winkle guy for a long time. You, you've written about it. Yeah. You've Back in the days when you were on Twitter, you yeah. talked about it occasionally on social media. So this is not something new to you, but it's something that, I, I guess, captivated your imagination. What is this story, Pappy Land, the book that's coming out on November the... November 10th. November 10th.
1: So what's the story? So the story is, I started writing... I basically sold a book to write the story of Patty Van Winkle. Okay. And then a strange thing happened in that I started going to spend time with Julian and I realized that all of the things that I was thinking about in my life, whether it's, you know, uh, you know, my father or wanting to, uh, you know, trying to have the baby who we now have as Wallace or, uh, you know, just how to be a man in the world, All of those things that I was thinking about, I found were the things that I was talking to Julian about. And so. And Julian is. Julian is Julian Van Winkle, who makes Pappy Van Winkle. And is the grandson of. He is the grandson of Pappy. So it's his. uh, And Julian's father. I got all these great letters from Julian's dad sent home from the Pacific in World War II where uh, all he talked about was killing the enemy and the family's whiskey business. <laughs> They're these great letters, man. <laughs> his dad uh, got, a, got a silver star and a purple heart. And, like, his dad was a, a legit badass. And, like, he, I mean, really. Like, all right, so rewind me all the way to the beginning. So When, I can, when Pappy. So Pappy started it. He started the Weller Distillery on Derby Day 1935. In Kentucky. In Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, sort of out by the river. It's uh, called Shively or Shively. I actually don't remember. I've only ever written that word. That's funny. I didn't think about that until right now. And they, uh, so the family owned it from 1935 until 1972. Okay. When Julian's aunts and uncles decided that they wanted the money and not the distillery. And so essentially there was a hostile family takeover, and Julian's dad was forced to sell the distillery. And so he started Old Rip Van Winkle as his own label just because all he'd ever known was the whiskey business. Julian did that. Julian's father. Okay, Julian's father did. Yes, so Pappy died in the 60s. Julian's dad took over and ran it until 1972 when he sold it. And so Julian has spent his whole life basically pouring all of the money he inherited when they had to sell the Stitzel Weller distillery into keeping this brand alive. And then the money ran out and he started borrowing money and it looked like it wasn't going to make it and in, in 1996, I think it was, they got this really high score from a very prestigious like spirits judge that got a perfect score, a 99, and the booze went crazy. And from that moment on, it's been almost impossible to get. And it's so, so,
2: for, so 1996 is when the story changed for the Van Winkle for family, Van
1: Winkle for, family. For, for, for this iteration, for this iteration of the Van Winkle family. And what's really interesting is this year he is paying off the last of the debt for money that he bought for, to, to keep it alive, for money that he borrowed yeah. to keep the to keep it. So, like, you talk about like the Van Winkle, you know, how hard it is to get. Next year will be the first year they're in the black. How much do they produce annually? I don't know the answer to that because it varies. So, this year, basically, whiskey you put 53 gallons of essentially moonshine into a whiskey barrel and then it sits there, but it really evaporates. So, by the time you're talking 20 or 23 year old whiskey, there might be six gallons left. And so, or it might be all gone. There might have been some tiny little leak in the barrel. And this happened this year. And so there's a lot less 20- and 23-year-old than there usually is because the barrels were empty. I mean, you think, like, they roll these barrels down and...
2: And and they've just been sitting in a warehouse or a barn or a...
1: They call them rickhouses, but they're essentially, like, three- and four-story warehouses that you walk in and it's just barrels. And the barrels were empty. And so, like, it's really crazy how much of this is nature, a whiskey barrel is charred it's charred on the inside and so what happens is you put the liquor in it and then the barrel because there's so much seasonal fluctuation in temperature in Kentucky especially mm-hmm. the barrel is essentially breathing okay it's contracting and expanding contracting and expanding and it's it basically breathes the liquor into the wall into the walls of the barrel and then back out that's where it gets its color that's where it gets its taste
2: Hold that thought. We're going to come back to this. We're going to get to a whole bunch more. Wright Thompson is my guest. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Got a good DJ. Michael Borky spins the records. If you were here tomorrow, you'd be here for Zeppelin Day. Wednesday's his kind of uh, de facto
1: Led Zeppelin Day. Dude, I got to tell you, I mean, you talk about a, a, a hipster, like a cool band that played in clubs that blew up and never lost their thing, Led Zeppelin.
2: Borky, should I ask him the question we uh, we broached last week? Which question was that? Is Led Zeppelin four the greatest rock and roll oh, yeah. album of all time,
1: dude? I, all right, so it, it Black Dog, Rock and Roll, Battle of Evermore, Stairway right to of heaven. heaven. I mean, all right, so to get from my house to my office is all of Black Dog and all but twenty seconds of Rock and Roll. Okay, and like I do that. <laughs> all the time. Let's with First CD I ever had back used, in the BMG day. It was the first ever CD. Well, I mean, that was a problem because now it's all downhill.
2: Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Wright Thompson is the voice that you hear. He's a senior writer at ESPN.com. ESPN the magazine went away. Did that change
1: anything for you? Uh, I mean, other than I like to hold the thing in my hand, not yeah. really. Uh, it's, I mean, I, you know, it's all digital. It's The world is so crazy. I, uh, uh, that so it didn't really change anything, but like I miss it. That's have, fair. Like I have no tangible real reason to. I just liked the fact that it was this thing you could hold in your hand.
2: Um Give me the elevator pitch for Pappy. If you're trying to sell a book, why does why does somebody
1: for Pappy Land? Sorry, why does somebody buy this book? You know, the first time I described it to my wife, she listened very carefully as I laid out my sort of super literary theory about it. And she said, oh, it's eat, pray, love for dads. (laughs) (laughs) And I I started throwing stuff. And then I was like, all right, we're coming back to this, but that's not totally inaccurate. Uh, it, It really it's. It starts off as a book about bourbon but it ends up very quickly being an exploration of julian's relationship with his father and my relationship with mine and all of the things that i inherited from my family and from my father and sort of trying to understand as a child was coming into the world which of those things i wanted to pass on and which of those things i wanted to die with me
2: i think i know you well enough and We've known each other for a, a while, long not, time. not, not super close. Yeah. Um, but I think I know you well enough to say that it's the single most influential thing that has happened to you in your life, the passing of your father.
1: Yeah. Cause we were very close and I mean, I know it, it always makes me feel like such a wimp to talk about it because every single person loses their father, you know, at some point. Yeah. And so, you know, for it to affect, me so completely in certain ways, you always sort of feel like, well, this happens to everybody, you know? Uh,
2: But I feel like it has influenced your writing and your storytelling in a way that is very public.
1: Well, it's interesting because I, uh, it's something I connect with a lot of people on because I think, you know, as opposed to, I mean, this book will teach you things you don't know about whiskey, but what I hope that it really does is articulate things that you know, or have thought about your own life, about your family, about your children, about the ideas of home. I hope it'll articulate things that maybe you've thought but haven't exactly sort of put together. Yeah. And so, you know, I certainly like to do that. I like to sort of. Is it a fun read or a heavy read? No, it's fun. I mean, it. You know, there are parts of it. So look, there are parts of it that are heavy, and then there are parts of it where I drink ten thousand dollars of whiskey with Jillian Van Winkle and cackle about it. So, I mean, In one sitting. Uh, I mean, I bet we opened a bottle that, yeah, yeah, probably.
2: Is that the, um, uh, you obviously want to sell lots of books, and you want it to be a New York Times bestseller and whatever, but is the greatest achievement for you in this is what you were able to consume along the way? Well,
1: look, that's certainly, <laughs> I'll tell you this. You have to answer honestly. <laughs> look, it was. it is certainly up there. I'll tell you the best part. All right, so with the book, you get a book advance, and I spent my book advance, in part, on the greatest sugar bowl night that anyone had ever had. Okay, so we had, so so this has been this was, in place since at least January one of twenty sixteen. Oh, before I mean I, I yeah I mean it's four or five years in the making, and so I mean I, I spent a lot of time with Julian doing this. I, I ordered an old bottle of old Fitzgerald, which was made by Pappy. I got a really old one, and like the actual stuff. And uh, we got on some trial lawyers, King Air here, and we <laughs> flew down to, uh, we flew down to New Orleans and drank this bottle all the whole way down there. And we're landing at Lakefront Airport, and the fireworks were going off. We landed, we went out in New Orleans, We woke up the next day, went and went to the game. I don't care what the NCAA says. It happened. I was there. Uh, I really don't care. Like it was a great day. We were walking back to where we were staying. We are staying at John Curns' parents' house. And so we were walking back down Poydras and I looked in that Mexican restaurant there that's on the right. And my entire family is sitting there at a table, like my Uncle Will and all these people. And so we went in and hugged. It was the last sugar, the last time I almost went to the sugar bowl, my dad was alive. 1970 right? 69 or 70 he was in college yeah it would have been 1970 yeah January 1st 1970 and uh so like I spent the book advance I I I bought that bottle of whiskey uh it was funny like after four or five years uh I was like oh, I gotta write the book I've already spent the money I can't give the money back there's no giving it back no and so it's it's long gone uh you know what's interesting the best part for me, look, sure, I want people to buy it. Uh, I'd like to sell a million copies of it. Uh, the best part for me was uh, without having a deadline and without knowing that I had to really focus or I was going to have to come up with this money that I'd already spent, it really, I really ended up thinking about sort of what kind of family I wanted us to be and like what what, what were the things that were important to me? What were the values that were important to me? I spent a lot of time because it was in Kentucky, Thomas Merton, who's a Catholic philosopher. I mean, I don't want to get too deep into religion on your show, but like I did, a, I did a lot of, there was a lot of sort of spiritual, uh, searching involved in the book because I was up there so much and reading a lot of that. And I, I don't know if you saw the Netflix, uh, Bruce Springsteen's, Bruce Springsteen did uh, a Broadway show.
2: Oh, where he was standing on stage, and just kind of like a, yeah. telling it, stories and it, playing music.
1: Yeah, and he had this thing where he was talking about because he his father was it was a real nightmare, and he was talking about you can either be a ghost to your children or an ancestor. You know, you can either be someone who helps push them to their thing, or your baggage can wrap around their legs and pull them down. And so I really spent a lot of time thinking about that, about like what I wanted of my own history to be passed on and what were the values that I wanted to instill and what were the things that were better off dying with me. So like having, being forced to think about that was a real rare gift that like, I mean, like sort of ha ha talking on the radio jokes aside, like I don't take that for granted for a second. like that really was really special for me and I wouldn't have had it if I, you know,
2: so let me ask a really shallow question. Because there are people that are like, okay, he just wrote a book about Pappy Van Winkle. Does that mean he got a lot of Pappy, or has like an inside track now? I mean, are you the guy that actually can get it when nobody else can get it? Well,
1: here's what I can do. I have done the impossible. I'm having three raffles. Uh, one of them, the first one, like, one of them is at Square Books. Okay. You go to Square Books website, uh, to their events page, you can go to my Instagram that Penguin made me get that I'm begrudgingly. Oh, I hate it. Uh, it's uh, Wright Thompson Books on Instagram. There's a whole link there about where to do it. But like, we are raffling off a bottle of 10, a bottle of 15, and a bottle of 20 at these virtual events the week the book comes out. And I mean, we're capping the number of people we're letting in. Like, it was very important to me that, like, if people are going to do this, we need to protect their odds. I'm a sports gambler. Like, I you know, just to like, you know what I mean? Like, like, I, i I'm, people are going to ask. I'm like, look, serious gamblers are going to want to know what their odds are. And so we're giving out three bottles. We're capping it at 2,500 people a piece. Uh, 50 buck raffle tickets. You get a book. Julian and I are doing a QA of like a Zoom, whatever. You can ask him all sorts of like really technical whiskey questions or, uh, uh, put them on the spot. I love it when that happens. And then we're making a donation to the Lee Initiative's uh, Restaurant Workers Relief Fund. And you know, it's fifty bucks a swing to try to win one of these bottles. And you know, it's funny. I've been talking to people up at Square Books. Like, how we doing? You know, and they're really selling. And you know, some we people are buying ten of them. Hmm. Uh, but you have, like, you have a real shot. I mean, it's you know, it's. I would say, what one and eight hundred shot of winning. So there you go.
2: Chance, you want to uh, get into that, we'll, uh, we'll tell you how you can buy a raffle ticket uh, coming up a little bit later. Yeah. When we come back, we're going to pivot just a little bit. Um, we're going to talk some sports. We're going to talk about some of the uh, things that Wright has covered, some of the places that he has been, an event that he's going to cover next month that is going to be unlike anything that has ever been covered in sports. And I'm going to ask you a question about um, some of the reaction that you got to... Uh, a project that you were involved with a few years ago that may not have been all positive at more of a local level. Awesome. For sure, man. So we'll get into all of that coming up next. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. you want to be part of the conversation, hit us up on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. We will be right back.
0: Mississippi, your new home for exclusive sports coverage here in the Magnolia State. Let me put it to you this way. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi.
1: Yeah, dude. DJ's winning me over. I I would argue
2: the best... Opening line to a song in music history
1: is "I met a gin-soaked barroom queen in Memphis." It's hard to beat. Kind of hook you right there at the beginning. And like, what's really amazing is when you think, because the the Beatles are—I love the Beatles—but they sound dated. The Rolling Stones sounds like they could be a band playing in the Lower East Side right now, and they were contemporaries. And it's interesting how their music has sort of been the style that survived.
2: Yeah, really is. Wright Thompson visiting with us. Uh, so full disclosure, uh, getting your messages on the C Spire text line, some of you complimentary, enjoying the conversation, a little bit different. Some of you, hey, it's a sports show, get back to sports. I understand. This is my doing. This is not, uh, not that Borky couldn't or wouldn't have booked this. But uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, I called, right, and I said, hey, let's talk about this. You're writing a book. I've got a sports talk show that uh, broadcasts and, the entire state of and, Mississippi. Let's talk.
1: And the person who just texted, uh, it is squarebooks.com backslash events.
2: Squarebooks.com backslash events. Somebody submitted I had a buddy that sent me a message said, I tried to amend my carnivorous habits as the best opening line of a song.
1: Oh, that's pretty good, too. I'm sure there's some Warren Zevon. I went home with a waitress, the way that I always do. That's pretty good. You have been
2: part of a bunch of different projects—written, yep. oral, video, etc.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, Ghosts of Ole Miss, yep, is one that you were heavily involved with. Uh, Fritz Mitchell was, uh, I think, the director. Yeah, Fritz R- was the director. D- did you end up as the producer, executive producer on that, or
1: uh, I don't know how that. I, I honestly don't. I don't think I was. So
2: part of the thirty for thirty series, yeah. and there were a lot of people. Somebody even texted us earlier today when I said Wright Thompson was coming up on the the show (laughs) and uh, said that that was self-serving, it was disingenuous, um, that it did not portray Ole Miss in the light that people wanted Ole
1: Miss to be portrayed in. I would say not disingenuous, in no way self-beneficial to me, if anything, the opposite of that. I didn't get paid anything for it. And the third thing might be true, that it might not have portrayed Ole Miss in the way that Ole Miss wanted to be portrayed, which I don't. You know, that's not my job. Sure, but I mean, it's, Did, have you gotten backlash though? I um, mean, I mean,
2: obviously, people that are close to you aren't going to be like, "I hated that."
1: No, you know, not really. I sort of feel like, uh, I mean, you, some, sometimes I'll be an Ole Miss student with Georgia or Texas plates. But I saw, like, there's that great. He didn't write the song, but there's that great Robert Earl Keane one. It's like, I may not wear a Stetson, but I'm willing to bet, son, that I'm as big a Texan as you are. And so, you know, I sort of like, look, we've been farming in Bolivar County since 1927. I sort of feel like I can say whatever the hell I want. That's but, fair. Uh, it, it. I usually find that the that folks from Mississippi want to have a nuanced conversation about it, really. Like, I've had a lot of conversations with people about it, bars and restaurants, or just places, sitting at the Mayflower, somebody will come up and want to talk about it. And I usually find that, like, people who are from Mississippi and invested in Mississippi usually understand it a lot more than people who are not. And I also think that, like, that's interesting. I mean, it, it, it might it, that it might just be a Delta thing, too. Like people, Could be. It, but it's very much... Uh,
2: and I don't remember. It's been a long time since I've watched that piece. But if I remember correctly, part of the story was how far Ole Miss has come. And I wonder if maybe that's some of the frustration that exists for people that are tied to Ole Miss. It's like, we, we've done all of this to put all of that in the rearview mirror. And yet here we are retelling the story of our
1: dirty laundry.
2: Is that a fair way to even say
1: that? You you get what I'm saying? I just think that it's, you know, uh, I mean, I I went to Lee Academy in Clarksdale and, you know, our Mississippi history books literally ended in 1959. (laughs) Like, I'm not even joking. And so, Hmm. I mean, yes, it's dirty laundry, but it's also sort of dirty laundry that's buried in the corner of the closet. I mean, it's at least it certainly was then. I feel like, I mean, you know, well, that was what? I mean, it was based on a story that came out, God, 10 years ago? Yeah. And so, like, I feel like the... Uh, are you proud of the progress?
0: The university?
1: Minister, university, for sure. Uh, and, look, if if you are from Mississippi and your family's been here a long time and plans to be here a long time, you know, we're, I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. Then... then uncomfortable conversations to me are not only something that you must do, but they are the the neighborly thing to do. The, like, let's keep talking about this till everybody feels like this is their home. You know, I mean, that was sort of where, like, I can't, you know, the conversations I would have about the flag. I mean, like, I don't look at it, you know, I loved Slow Dixie, for instance. Do you know what I mean? Like sure. I've had conversations about how do I get the old Miss Band to play slow Dixie at my funeral. But if uh uh and by the way, you report a book about Pappy Van Winkle, your funeral gets a lot closer. You know, I mean like you not drink bourbon in Kentucky for four years. Mm. Uh but you know, I think you should earnestly listen to neighbors who don't feel the same way. It, so, like, I, I like the conversation.
2: Yeah, I'm fascinated with it. And I wasn't trying to paint you in a corner by, by asking that. It just, you know, it, it seems like that's something that, um, uh, that gets thrown out from time to time along the way. I'm curious going back to your Kansas City star days. That's when you, uh, when you wrote the piece. Yeah. About Augusta with your dad. Yeah. Have you ever written anything that has gotten more
1: reaction? over an extended period of time Not th- even, th- than that piece. No. I mean, like, I, I've had things that, you know, you melt the Internet for a couple of days, but I get letters, I mean, like, I get letters that I don't respond to because I just don't even, like, know where to start. Mm-hmm. People telling me about losing their father or about the sort of how the story ends. The, the number of people who were estranged from their father or were estranged from their son who the story convinced them to, like, fix that relationship. Richard, I mean, 15 of those over the years? I mean, it, it's really, the, every one of those is deeply important to me. I mean, you know, I'll go tell Sonia I got another one. Yeah. And uh, I just, I mean, I, I sometimes feel like that stuff like that is, how, is like how the, Dead talk to us. You know what I mean? Yeah. I sometimes feel like that. That this just got deep. Yeah, but you know, I mean, like uh, that. That that's how my father lets me know he's okay, right? Mm. I mean, like
2: so. When you step on the grounds at Augusta,
1: and and you will
2: in two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, whatever it is, it's close.
1: And I'm going uh, before. I'm going November first. because we're recording all of the sort of essays and teasers sure. and bumps, so I'll be there on the course in eleven days. Eleven days.
2: So every time you step on the property, yeah, do you have a moment where it feels like you
1: reconnect with your dad? Oh, yes. Oh, of 100%.
2: By the way, visiting with Wright Thompson, senior writer at ESPN.com. He's got a new book coming out called Pappy Land. We talked a good bit about that. If you missed any of this conversation, you can go back and get it on demand at supertalk.fm. You can uh, get the podcast of the show a little bit later. Somebody asked, who, who is this we're talking to right now? So Wright Thompson is uh, is my guest at Sports Talk Mississippi. Um, so you feel like every time you step on the property
1: at Augusta National, there's a connection there with your dad. 100%. And there are a couple of other places where I really feel that. But, like, that is certainly one of them. Uh, Honestly, this sounds so weird. I really feel it at the Mayflower in Jackson. He loved that place. Loved it. I mean, just go get a salad with Comeback and uh, Redfish redfish and French fries. Uh, So there's rarely a time where I'm driving through Jackson where I don't swing in and go have lunch by myself at the Mayflower.
2: So for the essays that you write and the, the voiceover stuff that you do specifically for Augusta, do you write all of that?
1: Yeah, I, yeah, I write all
2: of that. So what, what under what parameters? What what is the, uh, the the producer? I guess is who you deal primarily with for that particular event, yeah. where they would say, "Hey, this is what we well, want you to try and capture," or do they just say, "You got a blank slate, go"?
1: Uh, it's both, and it, so the guy who runs our broadcast is a guy named Mike McQuaid, who's just like. One of those old school tele. If you're a television guy, you know who Mike McQuaid is, and if he walked into the room, you would be intimidated. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? He's one of those guys no one's ever heard of, but he is a legend. So he'll say, "What do you got?" And it'll usually be like, "Give me three or four things that you're interested in," and then I definitely need a tiger for Thursday, and then amend it so that it could run Friday. Because we only have the events Thursday and Friday, sure. And then everything else after that is for Sports Center. Okay. And so he is usually saying, so you know, I need a tiger for Thursday and Friday. I might need, you know, a lot of them are live, so I'll just write them and voice them right then. So Saturday, you know, Friday for Saturday, Saturday for Sunday, Sunday for Monday, Sports Centers. Uh, you know, there'll be a tease. So this year there's no, like the tease is the the opening intro, a couple of minutes long, you know. It goes from that to you're looking live, you know, and so, well, you know, and so uh, this year, for instance, the tease is, uh, uh, I'm, it's going to be about nature because there's not going to be any people at the course. Yeah. So like I'm talking to a botanist about like every living thing on that golf course to try to figure out sort of what it's like. So like that's literally I'm leaving here. I got to, I'm talking to a botanist.
2: We'll wrap up the hour that has gone quickly with uh, Wright Thompson when we come back with you. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Porky, I think Wright might come back simply based, not because of any question that I asked, but uh, simply based on uh, your record-spinning ability. Oh, no, it's really good. I'm still convinced we need a turntable in the studio.
1: Oh, yes, so he can scratch in there? Yeah. Okay, I really think that's...
2: Richard Cross, Michael Borkey in the studio, Wright Thompson with me in studio in uh, Oxford. He is a senior writer at ESPN. Pretty cool. You heard just the same. I mean, if you're watching the Masters, Borky, you, you can get on board with this, right? Watching the Masters in a couple of weeks, and uh, you know you're going to hear Wright's voice. Uh, kind of a little background on how those essays get written and what goes into them. Yeah. I mean, is there pressure
1: on that? Uh, I feel a lot of pressure just because I know, one, everyone in Bristol is watching, mm. and uh, a lot of people hear them. You want to get it right. Uh, and it's a, and like some of them are like, we need, you know, can we have 90 seconds on the 16th hole? I mean, sometimes it's literally that specific. Can I have 45 seconds on Rory McElroy? You know, can, and, uh, and sometimes it's do whatever you want. And so it's, it's always a weird mix. I like doing them. They're hard because they're short. Yeah. Like- and you don't usually do short. No, that's really, no, no. It's like the great Mark Twain line. I'm sorry this letter is so long. It would have been shorter if I'd have had more time. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, here we get one. I think you guys need a show with Mr. Thompson that you have on right now and your barbecue guy to talk bourbon and good food. So, yeah, we could have Malcolm Reed. You know Malcolm? I, I do know Malcolm. From uh, from DeSoto County, who is uh, so much fun. Jerry says his daughter is ordering the book Pappy Land for him. Can't wait to read it while sipping Maker's neat. All right. He's uh, from Brookhaven. Somebody who's trying to get in the uh, gates of Augusta—it's no, 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 not no, going to happen. No, don't do that. The you black didn't. helicopter
1: will get you for sure.
2: Stopped and uh, stopped and took a picture along the way. Surprised uh, they let him do that. Yeah, that uh, looks like it was a passing <laughs> picture as well. Tony says, "Great content, love my sports, but man, this is great." Richard, I, I appreciate you coming in. By oh way. man, it's my pleasure. Uh, Pappy Land available November tenth. You can get it at your local
1: bookstores. Yeah, everywhere books are sold. Uh, Amazon. Uh, Pre-order it on Amazon because it's it's cheaper right now, uh, and then if Square Books. You know my Instagram is. Oh God, I'm, I got them Can't believe I'm. I'll kill it. I'll, you want me to give it to you? No, and you won't. I, no, it's at Wright Thompson Books. There you go. And there's a link. You know, link in the bio and all that for the raffles. We're raffling off nine bottles. Three through square books, three through prairie lights in Iowa City. If you've never been to Iowa City, you got to get to Iowa City. It's bonkers.
2: You ever been for a, uh, a game where the kids are waving? No, but or I've been, to a, waving at I've been kids? to a
1: wrestling match there, which is, <laughs> I mean, it's like something. One of the great stories ever, Dan Gable uh, is the legendary wrestling coach at at Iowa forever. Yeah. And well, they fill it up for wrestling matches. Oh, they do. And he, I mean, he's an Olympic gold medalist and just a, you know, and I've written about him. He's really interesting. One of my favorite stories is a newspaper reporter from the Des Moines Register was on sort of co- some cultural exchange in Siberia in the 80s, early 80s, middle of the Cold War. He's in this village. He doesn't speak any Russian. No one there speaks any English and they're all just sort of looking at each other and he's wearing an Iowa hat. And this dude steps out of the crowd of Russians and points at his hat and just says "Gable." And I'm like, you know, I'm like that's, that's like pretty cool. Hair stand up on yeah, your arm. no doubt. No, so uh how, how do
2: you how do you write the way you write which is to immerse yourself in a local culture fly halfway around the world in the middle of a pandemic when you can't really travel.
1: Uh, it's been really hard. I have a, uh, I have a Archie Manning story that is done waiting to run. Okay. Uh, like a 8,000 word profile. Hopefully the last thing you ever need to read about Archie Manning. I spent a bunch of time with Archie and Olivia. There are a lot of stories that have been told about Archie Manning. So you cover some new ground. I think I do. Yeah. I think a lot of new ground, uh, I think, yeah, I think people will be. You're going to want to read this one. Uh, And uh, when is that? Ish, I'm thinking uh, sort of before the Egg Bowl. Okay. Uh, So I've been doing a lot of Mississippi stuff. Uh, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm thinking I'm going to do a DK and Terrence go down and see Terrence. I've been trying to do stuff I can drive to. Yeah. I drove up to Louisville. Uh, I did a podcast that came out. Called Bloodlines about uh, horse racing and all those horses that had died out in California. Yeah. So luckily, I'd done all the interviews. So for the first two months of the pandemic, I was just doing that. So I didn't need to travel because I'd already done all the traveling. Sure. So I sort of got lucky, and we have a baby coming, so I'm not going anywhere here real soon. Congratulations on that. Thank you very much. We're really round excited. two. Yeah, man, and we're we're going from. Uh, uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're going from zone to man to man, so it's, uh, I feel like we're screwed. Yeah.
2: I, I feel n- no sorrow for you, but I've got three. Oh, Ten, I, almost eight, and three. That's your own fault. I, no, you. yes. that's It's great. It's I
1: don't, the best. don't you know how that happens.
2: I wish... Um, yes. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. I wish we had time to do process, because your writing style is, is fascinating, and the process that you go through it... Can, can we do this again sometime? Anytime. I would love that. It's uh a lot of fun. Pappy Land is the book. Anywhere books are sold, local bookstores, always uh, recommend those. They are a great asset. We've got some special ones in the state of Mississippi, and uh, hope you will uh, check them out.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much,
2: man. And thanks for your time. Anytime. We could have done this another couple of hours, but uh, appreciate uh, the hour with you this afternoon. That's right, Thompson.
1: Senior writer at ESPN. Four o'clock hour is in the book. Shout out to uh, Jeff listening and Drew. Get back on that tractor, dude.
2: Wright told me I don't even have time to explain.
1: He's about to get an agricultural sciences degree. Uh, yeah. I uh, I'm getting more involved with a family farm and so I wanted one but I'm So you're I, gonna go to Mississippi State, right? No, I'm paying more to go to Auburn so I don't have to get crap about having a degree from Mississippi State. There's your parting
2: shot. Sports Talk Mississippi, college football fix is next. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm rolling into the five o'clock hour on this Tuesday. Many thanks to Wright uh, Thompson for agreeing to spend uh, the entire hour with us. Uh, obviously, part of that was uh, to promote his new book coming up, but uh, there wasn't a lot of promotion there. Just uh, some backstory and what you're going to be getting. It strikes a chord with you. Grab it at uh, your local bookstore, or on Amazon, or wherever uh, wherever you can buy a book. It's called Pappy Land, and uh, it is part bourbon, part relationships, part passing down the uh, the family business from one generation to another, and a whole lot more uh, weaved into that. I do not have my copy of it yet, and cannot wait to get it. Looking forward to uh, diving into that. And I've almost transitioned fully to listening to books online like I've got the Audible app on my phone. Th- this is one of those that I'm going to I'm going to grab and I'm going to turn pages. That's pretty and, millennial of you. I like that. Well, I love to read, Borky, but I don't have time to like sit down and read, and so I'm on the road so much or, you know, whether it's driving or on a plane or whatever, that's how I can read. And
3: almost never. Almost never. Sports books. Occasionally. Wait, are you saying it's possible to have another interest besides sports? Es posible. Es es posible. I got a text from a buddy that said, bourbon. so I've got friends that listen to the show, God bless them, every single day. I don't know why. Thank you, guys. And girls? They do. But um, one texted me. me, We don't know why, because it's fantastic radio. Well, it's more of just like, why are they consuming me like they do it for me no offense but I I don't understand tell you Uh, you, the the draw should be you (laughs) not me but uh, anyway um and one texted me and said are you getting many stick to sports and I said no we got one guy though that said I don't listen to a sports show uh to hear bourbon and his reply was there is nothing more synonymous with each other than southern football and bourbon and he's exactly right peanut butter jelly ice cream and cake maybe Bourbon and Southern football. Yeah, Whether you consume it or not, they just go
2: together. You smell it even if you don't consume it when you go to football games. Or if you're walking outside Uh,
3: of the student section, they've got these big stadium cups full of it.
2: Uh, message here, I bleed maroon, but we'll read, listen to any content. Wright puts out, extremely gifted storyteller, and he should, uh, shouldn't should be given flack if he got a, got a degree from state. Come on, Wright. We lose enough talent in this state <laughs> to other SEC schools. No, he was telling me that during a break. He's like, people will get a kick out of this, baby. Um, he says, I get enough of the, oh, you're an old Miss fan, but went to Missouri. He said, I'm not going to be the, oh, you're an old Miss fan that went to Missouri and Mississippi State. Um, so he said he's... Uh, about to be more involved in the family farming business, and so he's going to dive in and get an agricultural sciences degree. We'll see. So that was fun, and uh, I think we, uh, we we touched on a lot of stuff there and and could have gone for a lot longer. You know, it's funny, the, the, the piece that Wright wrote about Augusta with his dad, I don't know if you've read that, Borky, or not, if you haven't, Never mind Karate Kid, never mind any of the other movies. I'm, I'm, I'm begging you to read it because it is absolutely captivating, um, especially for somebody who loves Augusta and the Masters as much as you do.
3: Yeah, I, but I, out, I have not read it, and I need to. Outside of that piece, the the
2: two that we're, he and I were talking about this um, during a break, the two things that he's written that stand out in my memory the most are the long-form he, piece he did about the... Uh, the the soccer team that got rescued from the mine in in Chile, you remember that a few years ago? It, yeah. The, all the kids that got trapped in the mine. Wright wrote a long story about that. It was really fascinating. It was a different angle than anybody else had taken. And then there was um, uh, a piece about uh, Juventus soccer and what it meant to the town. I guess it's Torin or Torino. I, I, I guess they're in it's in Italy, right? Torinos in Italy. Anyway, fascinating stuff. And uh Torin or Torin, Italy. Yeah. Terrine. Yeah. There it is. So um yeah. Good it, stuff. I I have said this before. I, I will stand by it until I find somebody that I think is uh is better. I think he's the greatest sports writer of our generation. Now it's not game story sports writing, it's a different type deal altogether. It it, it just is. Um but his ability to tell stories and find stories that uh, other folks don't know uh, or don't find out there is uh, is really fascinating.
3: And the master side of it too cuz we got that coming up if you can believe it it's not that far away. It, obviously in my opinion and it's biased I think that is the the greatest golf tournament ever and it's always at the same place which is unique among the majors of course but somehow some way the broadcast makes you It makes it feel different every year. And I think that separates it from the U.S. Open and from the Open Championship, even with all its history, and, of course, the PGA. But it's those little things that he talked about, the 90 seconds between shots, where they have somebody like him poetically describe one hole on the course. That, to me, makes the Masters that much more enjoyable to watch. Not just the fact that I love the course and everything about it. It's... For some reason, every year you feel like you're hearing new stories about the same place. Yeah,
2: I, I agree, and it is—it's um, really cool that that you can do that. And it's because of the familiarity, Borky, with the same place that you can do that, but it also makes it all the more mystifying that you can take a place that so many people are so familiar with and then tell a new story. Every year. Yeah. Need to to get to this. It's time for the college football fix. football fix is driven by ford and your local mississippi ford dealers log on to buyfordnow.com find out why the best-selling trucks are built for tough still truck month going on though not for a whole lot longer your chance to save on the f-150 or perhaps the uh super duty also known as the f-250 or the ranger So, news out of Hattiesburg. Coming this afternoon, Scotty Walden, head coach of Southern Miss, has tested positive for COVID-19. Appreciate Jack sending us that message a a little while ago. I think Southern Miss has uh, maybe released that news on their, uh, their website as well. And that's a bum deal. I mean, Southern Miss, in a lot of ways, can't really catch a break in so much as they get a win on the road against North Texas, and then they're supposed to play FAU. FAU has to cancel slash postpone because of a COVID outbreak. They get their game against UTEP, moved into primetime on ESPN2 on a Saturday night where there wasn't a ton going on. Now, obviously, you had Alabama-Georgia, but aside from that, there wasn't much else going on in the football world would have been in a great spot last night or last week to get some exposure and then Southern Miss had to cancel the game postpone the game because of a covid outbreak or a number of cases or contact tracing or whatever the rationale on their side and now Scotty Walden who is trying to audition for this job to become its permanent head coach test positive and if Southern Miss is able to play this weekend he will not be on the sidelines unless he has a uh, Nick Saban-type
3: turnaround. Did you see, speaking of that, and hopefully that is the case, it, it, it stinks out loud uh, that he's having to deal with this and, and, and basically, like you said, an audition year, but Saturday night, the amount of blue check marks that decided that it was selfish and irresponsible that Nick Saban coached on Saturday, that a man that does not have a virus worked, that it was selfish and irresponsible, including your favorite Rex Chapman. I know he's a nobody, but he's got a million followers on social media. So just crazy.
2: Yeah, I I dug on Rex Chapman for his block charge stuff for a long time, and I finally had to kind of ease on out of seeing everything that he puts out on uh, Twitter. So, Scotty Walden tested positive for COVID-19 this morning, putting his status up in the air for Saturday's game at Liberty. Scotty Walden is the youngest Division one football coach in the country, 30 years old. He left the Duff Athletic Center Tuesday morning to self-isolate at home after a positive antigen test. Uh, came back. Um... Walden will take a PCR test on Wednesday to confirm his status. So the antigen test is the rapid result test, right? believe so. And those have a higher rate of false positives. So we'll see. The uh, PCR test will try to uh, confirm or deny the uh, positive for the uh, antigen test earlier. PCR test detects the virus's genetic material and is more exact the antigen antigen test detects specific proteins on the surface of the uh, virus. Scotty Walden said earlier this morning, I tested positive for COVID-19. I'm fine and have mild to no symptoms. I'm quarantining back home until it's safe to rejoin the team. Thanks to the Golden uh, Eagle Nation for all their support of our program during this difficult period. I want to thank our players and staff for continuing to be incredibly resilient during such an unstable time. That's your college football fix driven by Ford. If you follow us on uh, Twitter, at Sports Talk M-I-S-S. I just uh, I tweeted the link um, to the uh, story that originally ran in the uh, Kansas City Star in 2007. If you've never read it or if it's uh, been a while, right time for the story from 2007 about the Masters and his dad. The link is there. Uh, I'll tweet that from my own Twitter account as well. And uh, you can check it out. It's uh, pretty good. pretty good stuff there. It's the best stuff there, actually. I mean, you're, you're just, you know, warning one: write doesn't write anything that's short, and so it'll take you a while. And two, you're going to cry. So, you know, f- fair warning on uh, on both fronts. Um, but it's uh, it's absolutely worth the uh, worth the time that uh, that goes into it. So uh, check that out if you have not. I had a couple of folks who were texting asking if. Uh, um, we can send that out or where they could find it as well. And then also if uh, you want to enter into the raffle for a chance to uh, get uh, a bottle of Pappy, either the uh, 10, the 15, or the 20. I think those are the three vintages that uh, that are going to be given away. Uh, only 2,500 raffle tickets are being sold, so you get like a one in, what, almost 830 chance in uh, in winning one. Uh, $50 raffle ticket, uh, you also get a copy of the book and an invitation to uh, join in the uh, the Zoom call with uh, Julian Van Winkle as well. The book's called Pappy Land. Go to uh, squarebooks.com slash event. So, if you want to, uh, you want to do that. Uh, let's see. Different type show today, obviously. We will... Uh, Hopefully later this week, talk to uh, Bill Bender from the uh, Sporting News. on the, Tomorrow, 4 uh, o'clock. Beautiful. Look forward to visiting with Bill. and uh,
3: The Big Ten's going to play football this week, Borky. I know. Thrilling. We might see a Tonga-Vailoa starting at quarterback, although uh, his coach won't tell anybody. He picked a starter. He just won't reveal who his starter is. Transferred to
2: Maryland, Maryland, right?
3: that's right, to play for Loxley. And... Coach that's, has. That's Talia Tangavailoa. Coach has picked his quarterback, but won't tell anybody. So you have that to look forward to. The game of the weekend is probably the Defiance Bowl. At least that's what I'm calling it. Ohio State and Nebraska. The two programs that were mm. most vocal about we should play this year, the Big Ten in some kind of poetic justice decided to put them against each other in the opening weekend.
2: Do you watch that? As a uh, like a vote of solidarity and a hey thanks for your hard work and therefore we're going to watch it because you're not really watching it based on the
3: fact that Ohio State's a twenty six and a half point favorite. Yeah, COVID's done some crazy things to football this year, but you shouldn't expect that game to be competitive. I will have it on TV two, though. I'll have Old Miss Auburn on TV one and Ohio State Nebraska on TV two because I am a nerd, and even though my number... Well, I guess I stream, so I I am counted, because streaming is counted to the exact number. Um, In solidarity with Ohio State and Nebraska, because without them, the Big Ten's not playing football this year. And I'm going to watch them just because of that. In terms
2: of... uh, We mentioned a minute ago that Scotty Walden has tested positive. Ross Dellinger has a uh, a list, and he says, these are the FBS coaches to announce a positive COVID test. Scotty Walden, the most recent... Nick Saban, although it was a false positive. Jeff Brom, who will be out for the opener this week against, uh, for Purdue. Dan Mullen, the University of Florida. Mike Norvell at Florida State. Jason Candle at Toledo. Blake Anderson at Arkansas State. Chip Kelly at UCLA. Somewhere how I missed that news, but okay. Kevin Sumlin a long time ago. And uh, Les Miles a few weeks back as well. Jeff Brom and Les Miles reported mild symptoms, and Blake Anderson reported a 10-day fever. I guess everybody else was like, yeah, just not bad at all. Including, of course, Nick Saban. Did that have an outcome on the game on Saturday night, the fact that Nick Saban was on the sideline?
3: Or would the result have been the same regardless? I kind of feel like it would have been the same. I think. I, I mean... Aside from managing the game, Saban seems to be pretty hands-off as far as play calling, right? So, yes, he makes decisions, go for it, punt here, things like that. I assume he'll chime in on the headset and say, Steve, you're running the ball here. But by and large, I mean, Sark is a proven coordinator, right? It's not like Saban was the one that was calling the plays that lit up the Georgia defense, especially in the second half, right? And I don't remember any point. You're absolutely right. I don't remember any point in the game where, like, there was a a key decision that was made, except for maybe that with the the spike. Knowing the rules, there at halftime, you can get a spike in three in four seconds, right? But not three. And they had four seconds to spike the football, so they should have gotten one second left. Georgia ran off the field at halftime. Kirby was trying to end the half.
2: He he got. Well, it. Why is it that people think, oh, if the team runs to the locker room? They're going to either yeah. add a second or take a second away. I
3: don't get it. What's the what's the point? And so half the Georgia team had to stand in the tunnel and watch them uh, get three points scored on them. But, so maybe that, but uh, no, Alabama's they were significantly better. I mean, Stetson Bennett's been fine, but I saw somebody say Saturday, and they're right. He's starting to look like the guy that started the season as the fourth-string quarterback. Yeah, that, I'm not sure that's 100% fair. It's not, because he's been good, but they're not winning and an SEC the championship with him. No, he was good in the first half, but arm strength's out there.
2: Not not to beat elite teams. Georgia can be really good with Stetson Bennett as quarterback.
3: They, they could go to Atlanta. They're just not winning in Atlanta. They could. I don't think they're beating Florida.
2: I don't either. With Stetson Bennett as their quarterback. I I mean, I'll be the first to admit it if I'm wrong, but I've kind of been on this for a while that Setson Bennett's a great story, but there's a reason he was the fifth-string quarterback coming into the season. Which makes you wonder, what does JT Daniels look like? Yeah, it's weird. And DeJuan Mathis, my goodness. Ugh. And why in the world did Jamie Newman transfer out?
3: Uh, This is just.
2: Maybe it it legitimately was concerned about COVID. Maybe he legitimately was afraid of getting injured and seeing his draft stock fall. But I got news for you. You you know what has happened this year as we've watched quarterbacks? Jamie Newman Newman has, at the very least, been passed by Kevin Wilson. I mean, at best, you're talking about Jamie Newman as the fifth quarterback taken. Trevor, the undisputed number one. Uh, Kevin Wilson at BYU, Justin Fields at Ohio State, Trey Lance at North Dakota State.
3: I mean you gonna take Jamie Newman in front of any of those four guys? Probably not. He could have played him his way into a first round pick. Now he won't be. And if I mean some people have implied that this was an agent thing. And maybe Possibly. it maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. But if that's the case, if an agent got to him and said, Hey, don't play this season because something could happen and you won't get drafted, um, I wouldn't use that agent moving forward because he gave some really bad advice if that's how it went down. Is it technically Mac Jones draft eligible this year?
2: I think so. I think so. No, yeah, I mean, he was in school and redshirted, and then he played some last year.
3: He's either in his third or fourth year at Alabama. Uh, This is year four. He redshirted in 2017. So, yeah. So, uh, the way he's playing right now, there's no reason to stay. There there are two things. One, either
2: Mac Jones could go ahead and make a move to the NFL. Two, he could look at this draft class and go, I'm probably not going to go before Justin Fields. I'm certainly not going to go before Trevor Lawrence. Might not go before Trey Lance. Might not go uh, before um, Kevin Wilson at BYU. Do I want to be the fifth best? Now, there are a couple of things at play there. One, what do you want? Two, if you're the fifth quarterback taken in the draft, there's a pretty decent chance you're going to go to a good team instead of a crappy team. You're not going to make as much money eventually, uh, initially, but the chance for long-term success is better. I, I don't know how NFL people evaluate Mac Jones. Pretty darn good. Uh, Or, or, Mac Jones could do this. He could say, I'm not an NFL quarterback. But, there is an opportunity for me to be the most successful insurance salesman in the history of the state of Alabama. Because I could win a national championship this year, and I could win one next year. And I could win one the year after that and could start in parts of four seasons and could be the all-time leader in every single passing category in the history of the University of Alabama. I don't know if that matters to him. My guess is his dream is to go play in the NFL. Seems to be what most people's dream is that play college football. Sometimes it takes a little while for reality to set in that it's not an achievable dream. I I don't know. i got no idea what Mac. That's the first time I've even thought about him as a draft prospect. I might start thinking of him as a Heisman candidate as well. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi. Fun Tuesday afternoon. A little bit different type of show today, but uh, those are uh, those are fun from time to time. Quinn says, Guys, I know you really respect Joe Buck professionally, but what... What? Uh, but what was he and America's team's favorite son thinking when they decided to criticize the flyover and the president on a hot mic?
3: Walk me through it, Borky. I did not hear it live. So, um, they obviously were not thinking that they could be heard. Um, but Joe Buck sarcastically said something like, and here comes a big waste of our tax dollars, the flyover. Or something like that. And then Aikman follows up with, Yeah, you know, you won't be having that in a Biden-Harris administration. Uh, that won't happen anymore. Something like that. I'm paraphrasing, but that's the gist of it. Is Buck called it a waste of taxpayer dollars. Aikman said uh, that waste won't happen anymore under a, a potential Biden-Harris administration. And... and I've thought about this a lot, actually, because I figured somebody would ask us and we would have to talk about it. On one hand, I think that because they weren't trying to inject it in the broadcast, it was something that they thought they were saying between buddies and their buddies. It's different than if Joe Buck just decided, hey, welcome back to the NFL. And by the way, your tax dollars are being wasted right now. As we, You know, I think it's a little bit different. Because as long as they just call the game when the game's on, I couldn't care less what their political views are if they vote for Joe Biden and Harris or the weed guy that's campaign signed is down 49 just south of Richland. Yeah, I mean, I, don't, I couldn't care less. But at the same time, it's really stupid because we've been doing flyovers long before Donald Trump was in politics. In fact, we did flyovers before... Joe Biden was the vice president for eight years, and they did nothing about it. Number two, I hope that flyovers at football games are not on any politician's agenda to end. And three, as I understand it, most of these guys need training flight hours anyway, so you might Mm -hmm. as well do something cool while they're getting those hours in. So it's, it's a stupid take to begin with, but at least they were trying to keep it private, and somebody screwed up with technology along the way.
2: So the uh, video conversation caught between the two of them. Buck says, that's your hard-earned money and your tax dollars at work. I'm sorry. First, uh, Aikman said, that's a lot of jet fuel just to do a little flyover. Buck says, that's your hard-earned money and your tax dollars at work. With a bit of a carnival barker's emphasis. And Aikman replied, that stuff ain't happening with kamala biden ticket i'll tell you that right now partner but it will for all the reasons that you just said and maybe when you're in the position of joe buck and uh, troy aikman you've seen so many of those that they don't do anything for you i've yet to see a flyover that i didn't think was cool they are all awesome some are better than others. You know, when you get fighter jets or
3: you get a stealth bomber that flies over, those are really cool. In the biplane, the video you can find of YouTube going over the stadium there in Starkville is... Oh, with Dr. Fogel's song in it! Yeah. At least in that
2: scenario, it was the university chancellor, the university president, who was flying the plane. Which makes it cool. Cool-ish. Ish. A lot of—I mean, there are a lot of state fans that poked fun at that along the way. Um, I mean, there were a couple—a couple of years ago, a few years ago, FedEx—they had a FedEx plane do a flyover at um, at an Ole Miss game. I think they were the game sponsor or something along those lines. King Biscuit says you missed Fogel song; it wasn't cool. <laughs> Jason says, yep, training hours are already paid for, by the way. And I guess that's the point in this. If the money is going to be spent on training regardless, and the fuel is going to be spent regardless, then what difference does it make if they coordinate them with universities and then they get the pilots some recognition, usually bringing them back to the stadium and letting them wave at everybody and get a nice cheer?
3: And Somebody says, if
2: I were the president, I'd send the largest flyover in history next weekend. <laughs>
3: Air Force One, Marine One, Air Force Two, just get them all, man. Buzz the towers, why not? King Biscuit said it took almost 10 minutes
2: for the plane to go over the stadium. I mean, I remember people going, <laughs> <laughs> It was it was something. Derek and Greenwood says we occasionally have them at Pillow Academy. Private planes, though. Derek says if politics mattered all the time, I would have switched stations when you had Wright Thompson on talking. That's from Derek in the Delta. See, it hey, doesn't matter all the time.
3: I that's like it. great perspective right there.
2: Let's see. Mac from Oxford says, Any chance I could get some Columbia food and sports bar recommendations from Borky for Columbia, South Carolina, taking a trip up there for South Carolina, Texas A&M.
3: Yeah, if you have Twitter, uh, find me on Twitter at Michael Borky, and I will, uh, and send me a direct message, and I'll get you there. If not, email me Borky at Supertalk.fm, and uh, we'll connect. I will. Uh, I'll give
2: you one right now over the air. There is a Hall's Chop House in Columbia, South Carolina, that is fantastic. I can't tell you the address, just uh, Google Halls, Chop House, Columbia, South Carolina. I think the original was in Charleston. That's and right. it kind of is looking in the general direction of the uh, South Carolina State Capitol Building. Big wall of windows out looking. It's spectacular. Not a sports bar, steakhouse, nonetheless. It's uh, absolutely good. Jason, uh, who has a military background, we know that, says nothing in the manual dictates how or where those training dollars are spent. Furthermore, more times than not, those dog and pony shows are paid for by the venue in some way or another. Somebody says Buck and, Ape and uh, Aikman just lost a viewer.
3: Uh,
2: at Pillow Academy, those planes are called crop dusters.
3: Ag <laughs> pilots. I I got... you remember that day, Richard, when... Uh... No, I tell you, you were off that day, and we, we had the remote out at Steve Azar's golf tournament. Mm-hmm. And my tower got buzzed by an ag pilot. And I told the story, and I called it a crop duster. And we got a dozen texts mad at me for calling it a crop duster and not an agriculture pilot. So I, I will never make that mistake again. There you go. I was just reading the text. Oh, no, I hear you. Uh, And on the William
2: in Greenville says he remembers going to Jackson for a ball game while he was at State. Uh, There was an F4 flyover, full afterburners, all five of them. He said, I couldn't hear for a week. I still (laughs) remember it. It was fantastic. Hey, a couple of years ago, um, Borky, when I was uh, doing – it was in Texas A&M, so I guess it was the last time Ole Miss was there. I did an – an Auburn basketball game on television on Friday night, and it was an 11 a.m. kickoff. So I flew from Atlanta to College Station the next morning, and they were having a flyover. And as I landed, all of those planes out at the College Station airport were taking off, and I watched them practice. This nice guy on the plane gave me a ride from the airport <laughs> to the stadium and like dropped me off where I could walk in nice. with my suitcase. I was able to watch them, like, practicing their formations before the flyover actually happened inside
3: the stadium. That was way cool. See, a couple of these texts. One, I'm so glad I I quit watching the NFL. So glad to hear it was the right decision. Do you, when have you ever cared about the announcer's political views? That That's what has kind of surprised me about this situation. All Joe Buck does is tell you what's happening. And Troy Aikman... Adds color to what's happening. I, I mean, I that—that's what's surprising to me is, it's not like they injected it into the broadcast. It was a mistake somewhere. But I mean, why should I care if Joe or if Troy Aikman's going to vote for somebody that I profoundly disagree with? I mean, this is America. He's pretty good at being an analyst. I don't really pay attention to the announcers when I watch games anyway. Hey, why <laughs> is that going to turn you off from the NFL? Every announcer has political views, in, in one instance or another, I promise you that you disagree with, us included.
2: But who cares? Here you go. In 2009, there was a parachutist bringing the game ball, and he landed in Duke at Duke Stadium, but they were supposed to land at North Carolina. <laughs> Oops. Sandy says, uh, she's in Monticello, I have two military training jets that fly over my house almost every day, and it's still cool. Yeah, for what it's worth, I want those guys to practice.
3: Well, apparently the the service academies also need to practice a little bit more. I learned on the Sunday show that Ole Miss has the number one rifle team in the country ahead of all of the service academies. What are you teaching at the service academies when Ole Miss is beating you at shooting guns? I think they should be a little bit better than that.
2: I was in the band at MSU back in the 80s. They did a flyover where one of the fighter jets pulled back and flew straight up over the field while we were playing the Star-Spangled Banner. We could feel the vibrations from the thrust for quite a while. It's pretty awesome.